When I was a kid, I always thought it was interesting when I would travel around different places. I had the good fortune of being able to travel with an aunt and uncle who took these long trips, and so I got to see all sorts of parts of the country that probably I would not have been able to see otherwise. And I remember anytime we'd kind of go north, because I grew up in Georgia, you remember, anytime we'd go north, it was interesting. You'd go places, and people would just come up to you and want you to talk. They want you to talk because you sounded like this. Now, I think I probably lost that accent a little bit, though Joni tells me that anytime we go to Georgia, all I have to do is breathe the air and the accent comes back. But people would say to me, they'd say, well, where are you from? And I'd tell them. Well, people still say that to me sometimes. They'll, they'll ask, where are you from? And I'll say, Georgia. And invariably they say, you're from Georgia. Well, how do you end up in West Virginia? So I'll tell them a story. And it's not a long story, but I'll give them the brief version of how I grew up in Georgia and how I ended up in West Virginia. But maybe people ask you similar questions, not so much about uh, how you ended up in West Virginia, but maybe like the profession you have. If you're a doctor or a nurse, someone may ask you, well, how'd you end up in medicine? Or if you're a policeman, someone may say, well, how'd you end up in law enforcement? Even, guys, you know, sometimes when people will see us out with our, our wives, they'll look at her, and they'll look at us, and they'll look back at her and go, how'd you end up with him? <laughs> you know how that works. People are always curious. When they ask, though, how did you end up? What they're really asking, though, is what series of life events brought you to where you are today? What series of life events brought you to where you are today? In the 5th century B.C., there was a man named Nehemiah, and he lived in a city called Susa. Susa is the, well, was the winter palace of the rulers of the Persian Empire. And today, if you looked at a modern map, Susa is located in western Iran, right near the Iraqi border. The Persian Empire, though, was, was quite large. The Persian Empire in the east went from parts of India all the way to the west to parts of Greece and parts of Bulgaria. Then from north to south, it went all the way from Kazakhstan down to Egypt. So it was a vast, vast empire. Now, this man named Nehemiah, he was the cupbearer to the third ruler of the Persian Empire, whose name was Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes... Uh, Interesting name, but there were three of them. But this one we're talking about today was the first one. Now, the cupbearer had a very prominent and a very trusted job with the king. You know what the cupbearer did? The cupbearer got to taste the king's wine and the king's food before he ate it to make sure that there was no poison in it. So, in other words, they bring the king the food and, and the wine, and the cupbearer tastes it. If the cupbearer keels over, the king knows he probably shouldn't eat that food. Sounds like a dangerous job, and it probably was, but it was a very prominent job, and it, it was a very sought-after job because if you were the king's cupbearer, that meant that he trusted you, and if he trusted you, that, mean that it meant that you had all kind of access to the king that maybe the normal person wouldn't have. Risky job, but it had its perks. Well, Nehemiah was a Hebrew, but Nehemiah's home 
or ancestral home in Jerusalem was 800 miles away. So if you met Nehemiah, if you lived in the 5th century B.C., and you met Nehemiah in this town called Susa, you might ask him, how in the world did you end up here? Well, Nehemiah would tell you, he said, well, actually, I was born in Persia. In fact, I've never been to my ancestral home and really probably don't even have any family that lives back there. He said, I, I, I was born here, but if you're interested... Nehemiah would probably say, but I'll tell you how my ancestors ended up here. And what he would tell you about was about 150 years before the Babylonians conquered his people. They were unfaithful to God. And so the Babylonians came and conquered them. They destroyed Jerusalem. And they took the people captive and took them to Babylon. But some years later, the Persian king Cyrus defeated the Babylonians, and so it all became part of the Persian Empire. And Cyrus was one who had a policy where he was very tolerant of other people's customs and of other people's religion. So in essence, he freed, he freed the Hebrews. So they liked Cyrus. Cyrus is a pretty good guy. And so when you have Nehemiah here, Nehemiah is following the, the third ruler, and he's his cupbearer. So, so life's pretty good. Life's pretty good under this rule. Now, there had been a couple of groups that had gone back to, to Judah. There was a group that went back, and they rebuilt the temple, and then there was another group that went back with the prophet uh, Ezra. But obviously, Nehemiah was not one of them. And Nehemiah probably would just sum it up by saying, Look, uh, I was born here. I told you how my ancestors ended up here. But you know what? This is home. This is home, and I've got a pretty good job here where I live. Well, why was Nehemiah there, really? That's, that's the question. Well, yeah, he was born there. Yeah, he decided to stay there. But the real reason Nehemiah was there is because God put him there for a reason. God put him there for a reason. Nehemiah might have thought his reason for being there was to be the cupbearer to the king. But as we will look at Nehemiah as we go over the next several weeks, we'll find out that Nehemiah went from being a cupbearer to the king to being one of the greatest leaders of all time. And one of the things I want us to understand is that God has put us where we are for a reason. God has put you in this church for a reason. God has put you in your job for a reason. God has brought people around you for a reason. You have influence with other people for a reason. You are in a particular school for a reason. You are in a particular situation in your life for a reason. You might think it's something else, but trust me, God has a plan for everybody, and there's a purpose for where you are. So as we look at our look at Nehemiah and look at our vision series for the coming year about what we want to be about as a church. We need to realize that God has put us where we are, but the reason God has put us here is he doesn't want us just to stay where we are. He wants us to move beyond where we are to do whatever great thing he has for us to do in his kingdom. We want to fulfill our purpose and to do that we have to continually be moving beyond where we are in our spiritual life, and always looking to move beyond to something greater that God might have for us. There's a really interesting part uh, 
as we look at, at Nehemiah and as we look at uh, the first chapter here in, in just a moment, Nehemiah is, is in first person, which is, it really makes the story, to me, at least come alive. And so as we begin looking at Nehemiah in, in chapter 1, it, it's early December in Susa, and it's 446 B.C. Here's what we read, Nehemiah 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah encounters Hanani, may or may not have been his literal brother, probably not. It just meant maybe he was from the same tribe as Nehemiah. But Nehemiah asks him about the conditions of the people who are back in his ancestral homeland. And the report's not very good. In fact, it's very dark and dismal. Uh, he learns that they're suffering from, from economic distress due to famine in the land. There are a large number of people who are suffering oppression because there are a few that have a lot and there are a whole bunch that don't have anything. And so they're suffering at the hands of those who have a lot. Also, they're being ridiculed and harassed. Even 150 years later, they're still suffering from the idea that, hey, an army came in and wiped you guys out and hauled most of you away. So they're facing ridicule from other people about that. And the other thing he learns is that the wall around Jerusalem, the way that Jerusalem defended itself from attack, was torn down. It was in ruins. And the gates had been burned. So it's not a very good report that Nehemiah hears. But here's a question. Why would Nehemiah ask in the first place? Why would Nehemiah ask about a people 800 miles away? Why would he even care? He didn't really know these people. He didn't have any close family there. He had a great job in the king's court. He was successful. He was relatively safe. And he had everything he needed. Why in the world would he care about what's happening 800 miles away to people he doesn't even know? Doesn't matter they're his ancestors. He doesn't know them. And besides, think about it. They're in, in the place that they are because of what they did. It's their fault they're suffering. They're suffering because they disobeyed God. They're getting what they deserve. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah had said of these same people, he said, who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Who will mourn for you? Who will stop and ask how you are? So why should Nehemiah care? Well, he cared because God put it in his heart. God put it in his heart to ask. And God put it in his heart to care when he heard the answer. I believe that God puts things in our heart. Something as small as maybe asking 
Asking someone how they are. Now, granted, I bet today you, people have either asked you or you've asked a whole bunch of people, how are you? Did you really care when you asked? Or did you really listen when they responded? You know, I think a lot of us are really afraid to really ask people, how are you? Or how are things going? For two reasons. One, we may get caught and they may talk to us for 30 minutes. And we've got important things to do. We don't have time to listen to them. And the other thing is, we really don't want to know because it might obligate us to do something. So consequently, if we don't know the facts, we don't have to do anything. And if we don't ask, it's not going to obligate us to do anything either. But Aldous Huxley has said that facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. Some of us like to use the ignorance is bliss approach. But you know, when it comes to asking and caring about people, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss for someone who doesn't know the salvation that's offered through Christ. And ignorance is not bliss for those of us who are called to share that message with others. There's nothing blissful about that. And that kind of ignorance can lead to tragedy. When we truly care about people, we're going to ask how they are. To truly care about someone leads us to ask, and God puts that in our heart. Now, whether you act on it or not, that might be a different story. But I believe that we are the creation, all of us, not just those of us in this room, but those outside this room and all around the world. We're part of God's creation, and I believe that God puts it in all of our hearts to care for one another, to ask and to care how the creation is doing. We have to have a view of the world that's outside of ourselves. It's not just concerned about what we're going through. It's not just concerned about the little details of our lives, but one that is outside of ourselves. You know, God has put this church here for a purpose, and he's put us in it for a purpose. And one of those purposes is to care for one another and for those outside this church. And we can come here and we can worship and we can sing loudly and we can fellowship to our heart's content and we can go to life groups and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. And learn. But until we start to really care and to care enough to ask and to really be concerned about our fellow man, then we're really not going to be that effective. And people will say, well, you know... There's a lot going on, and I know a lot of people, and, and you know, I, I really can't get involved, and I really can't care about everything. Well, there is some truth to that, but put that in the back of your mind for a while, because we're going to talk about that in here in just a minute. And it's not related to whether you don't care or not, but it's just how you respond. But anyway... We need to move beyond, though, just asking to actually being burdened by what we hear. That's the next step. You can, you can ask and you can care, but the next step is to be burdened. Here's what happened, Nehemiah 1.4. 
It says, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears the answer to his question and he is devastated. He is devastated. And he weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he prays for days. And that's beyond just a surface concern. Nehemiah has a burden. He has a real burden for the people and the situation. And everything else we're going to look at in Nehemiah relates to this burden that he has for people. So are we looking outside ourselves? And just like Nehemiah, I believe that if we are, if we truly are, then God's going to put a burden on our heart. Because unless we have a burden... We are never going to be effective followers of Jesus Christ. I believe that. That if we don't have a burden in our heart, we are not going to be effective for Christ. I think there are a lot of churches all over the world that are doing a lot of things. They are busy. They have children's ministries. They have youth ministries. They have worship. They have Bible study opportunities. They have all these things. They do things in the community. And year after year after year after year after year, they do those same things over and over and over again. And I fear in many cases they do them not because they have a burden, but rather just because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, it doesn't mean those things are bad. But they're just not effective. A lot of churches are spending a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort and a lot of manpower doing things, but for the wrong reasons. And it's because they don't have a burden. They don't have a burden inside of them. And so we need to ask ourselves, as one of those churches in the world, is that us? Is that us? That's not a bad question to ask. It's a good question for us to ask. It's a question that we should ask ourselves often. Why are we doing what we do? Is it because we have a burden? Or is it just because it's what a church is supposed to do? Or is it just because it's something that we've already done? Nehemiah wept over the ruins. He wept over the ruins. And I firmly believe that before we can rebuild ruined lives in a ruined world... We have to first weep over those ruins. Because I think if the church is going to be effective, let's say in children's ministry, if the church is going to be effective in children's ministry, somebody involved in that has to first weep over the fact that there are children in our community who don't know Jesus Christ. If we are going to be effective in recovery ministry, somebody has to weep over the fact that there are people in our community who deal with unresolved hurts and habits and hang-ups. If we're going to be effective in community outreach, we have to have someone who first is going to weep over our community and the fact that the people are here and they're in tough economic situations and, and they maybe don't know Christ. Somebody has to weep over that first. And if we're going to be effective in our missions around the world, then we have to weep over the fact that there are people not only around the world who don't know Christ, but who live in oppressive situations. You've got to have a burden. And if you really have a burden and you really care, you're going, to, you're going to hear these things and it's going to cause you to weep. So what is your burden? What is your burden? 
What have you wept over recently? You might say, well, I got plenty of burdens in my life. You know, my finances aren't good, and, you know, I haven't been the best health. And, yeah, I got, I got, got plenty, of, plenty of burdens going on in my own life. That's not what we're talking about here. What we are talking about is having a burden for something outside of yourself. We are all going to have burdens that we bear in our own personal lives. All of us have those things. There are situations that we're going to have to deal with all the time. But as it relates to what we're talking about today, it's not this burden, this financial burden you're carrying around. It's not some burden you're carrying around. It's you have a burden in your heart for something somebody else is carrying around. That's the question. A burden is a weight that God puts in your heart for somebody else or for some other situation. You know, it goes beyond just a casual concern. It goes beyond a curiosity to know about the situation. It goes beyond just seeing something on TV and thinking, man, that's pretty bad. I think I'll go for a walk now. Burden is something different. Let me give you, this is, this is an extreme illustration. But I think it illustrates the difference. To be concerned about a homeless man is to give that homeless man a sandwich. To have a burden for that homeless man is to give him a room in your house. You see the difference? Now, there's nothing wrong with the sandwich. There's nothing wrong with the concern. There's nothing wrong. That's a loving act to give somebody who is hungry something to eat. Jesus himself said we're supposed to do that. But you see the difference between just concern and a real burden? It's an extreme example, but it makes the point. How do you get a burden? How do you get a burden? Well, let me tell you, you can't, you can't develop it on your own. Uh, a burden can only come by possessing God's heart for a ruined world and its hurting people. And in order for you to have God's heart, you have to be close to God. You can't be far away from God and expect to have God's heart. The closer you are to God, the closer you are to His heart, and the closer you are to feeling and seeing the things that God feels and sees. You can't do it from a distance. Because you see, a burden is a discomfort. A burden is a discomfort in your heart and in your soul that is not going to be relieved until you do something about a situation. John writes, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, us. He had such a burden for us, such a burden that we had sinned, such a burden that our relationship with Him was broken. Such a burden was on God's heart that God knew the only way is if I send my son to die for these people. Nothing would remedy the situation until that happened. So do we have that kind of burden for others and for their situations? Because only when our hearts are broken over the things that break God's heart are we going to start doing what God wants us to do. And until that happens, I really believe we just kind of go through emotions. Alan Redpath said, 
You are never used of God to bring blessing until God has opened your eyes and made you see things as they are. Nehemiah could not escape the fact that the people were suffering and Nehemiah could not escape the fact that the walls were broken down. It started in him as a burden. And as we go through the next few weeks, you're going to find how he moved beyond just a burden to actually doing something about the situation. There's one more thing I want to mention. Uh, I mentioned earlier where, where people say, well, you know, I can't do everything. I can't do everything. That's true. You can't. You're not God. You're not God. You, you, you can't do any, everything. It's not, it's not humanly possible for us to do something about every situation that exists. But the thing is, I believe that God burdens each of us in our own individual ways. He does. We may not all in this room share the same burden. And that's okay, but what we need to do is to realize that God is going to give us one, and we have to really focus on what that is. But sometimes, we kind of feel guilty if we don't have a, man, I feel guilty, I just don't have a burden for that. Well, that might be okay. It might be. Because God might be burdening your heart for something else. I had a guy that called me the other day. Um, He's going to do mission work in Ireland. He said that God had really put this burden on his heart for the people of Ireland to hear the gospel of Christ. And he spoke passionately about this. And then he asked if, if I would consider supporting him financially. It was a great cause, and he had a burden for these people. And I said, no. I said, because my burden as it relates to mission work, is Cuba. That's where my burden is, for the people of Cuba. And you know what he said to me? He said, I understand 100%. He said, I understand. He had a burden for Ireland. I've got a burden for Cuba. One is not more important than the other. And neither one of us wanted to dilute what the other one was doing. You see, you don't have to have the same burden. Many of you support our work in Cuba. Thank you. Many of you do not. And you know what? That's okay. That doesn't have to be your burden because it's mine. It doesn't have to be. And you shouldn't feel guilty because it's not. And I hope I never make you feel guilty for that. Your burden might be the elderly lady next door. Your burden might be the little boy down the street. My burden for Cuba is in no way more important than your, than your burden for the lady and for the little kid. They're all important in the kingdom of God because God burdens each of us individually. And I think that we need to make sure that as God's people that we don't make others feel guilty because they don't share our burden. I, I, I see people sometimes... Uh, well, they'll, they'll say to me, man, you know, I, I just can't believe that, that, that those people aren't, aren't, aren't burdened for some situation. And, and this guy's burdened for it. He's really gung-ho about it. And he can't understand why everybody else isn't. 
Even to the point where he thinks we're not Christians because we're not burdened by that. But we need to realize that that's what God's burdened his heart. And he needs to go at it with everything he has. But we shouldn't judge other people because they don't share our burden. But rather we should work on the burden that God has given us. And again, I keep going back to the fact that God has a burden for all of us if we'll just find it. In the coming weeks, we're going to have some people share with you on Sunday morning about uh, things that are, are burdens to them, uh, things that are outside the church. Uh, they're not ministries that are, are, are connected to the church at all. They are things outside the church. They're going to share with you about their burden for that particular outreach opportunity. But you know what? They're not going to try to recruit you to share their burden. They're going to share with you how God put a burden on their heart and how they responded with the hopes of encouraging you to find your burden and find how God might use you. But there is one burden I hope we all share. Uh, it's a burden that I have. Uh, as a church, I believe our mission is to strive together every day to become more and more like Jesus. That's a burden I hope we all share. Some of us do. And some of us work at it really hard. And some of us don't even give it a second thought. That's a burden for me, and it's a burden that I hope you share. I also share a burden that, that we need to move beyond those things that are holding us back. Whatever it is. It might be somebody that's hurt us, or it might be laziness. Who knows? We need to move beyond that to become the people that God wants us to be. We should always be moving beyond those things that tend to hold us back. That's a burden for me, and I hope it is for you too. Because as a church, I believe that until we strive to become more like Jesus and until we're willing to move beyond things in our lives, that we really, the burden issue isn't even going to be relevant. Because to really have a burden, as I said before, that mirrors God's heart, you have to be close. If you're striving to become like Jesus, you'll start to have his heart for the world and you'll start to see things as he sees them. If you start moving beyond those things that are holding you back, you'll know the freedom that comes with your ability to leave them behind and to move forward for what God has called you to do. Now, as a church, I can preach it. We can give you the opportunities. We can challenge you to go do it. But in the end, it's up to you. I'm hoping that you'll pray. I'm hoping that you'll pray. If, if you know what your burden is, man, go for it. If you don't know, pray. God will show you. And you can go for it with all your heart. But it's up to you. Let's pray.